Hello, everybody. My name is Peter Ruhlman, a volunteer of your communications committee. I'd like to take a moment before this podcast to let you know that the MEC's all-pilot survey is now available. Your feedback in this survey is critical to the direction of the MEC. Please take a moment to complete this survey by following the link in your email or at www.alpa.org edv on the member's homepage. Thank you, and please enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 6 of On Air with the Chair. My name is Nick James. I'm the MEC Chairman, and I'm joined in the office today by our MEC Vice Chairman and our MEC Secretary-Treasurer. Dave and Jade, why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Thanks, Nick. My name is Dave Zergot. I'm a Detroit 900 Captain, the MEC Vice Chairman. I've also done a little bit of work uh, with ALPA. I was the uh, first officer representative in Detroit, as well as a secretary treasurer in Detroit, and also on the um, uh, negotiating committee for the MEC. Yeah, we worked together for, what, uh, two or three years on the negotiating committee, Dave? Yes, yep. Good times. Jade? Yeah, thanks, Nick. Uh, Jade Shiwi. I'm a dual-qualled FTI, uh, and I'm also dual-qualled on the ground side, teach ground school CQ, both 200-900, and I am the MEC secretary treasurer. Excellent. Well, thank you guys for uh, joining us today. The MEC officers in this episode, which will be our last for 2020, would kind of like to do a, a year in review. What we've been doing at the uh, senior leadership level, the things that we've been able to accomplish, and look towards 2021 and some of our strategic goals going into next year. And as always, at the end of today's podcast, we will be answering a pilot question. We did receive several of them, that, several questions this month, so we do appreciate that. Remember, if you have a question or an idea for a topic uh, for us to address, please email edvonair at alpha.org. That's edvonair at alpha.org. So when we think about 2020, what is the first thing that comes to our mind? Well, obviously COVID and all of the challenges that it has presented, not only in our industry, but really in our world and in our way of life. It is the worst global pandemic we've seen since the Spanish flu of 1918. It's had an immeasurable economic uh, impact, not just again to our carrier or, or to our industry, but really worldwide. Um, and the downturn that we have experienced here is worse than 9-11, and it's worse than the Great Recession of 2007 and 2008. And it's presented a lot of challenges to your MEC leadership, from the health and safety concerns of our pilots to the potential financial impact of any type of contractual concessions, um, right on through to how do we continue to bring top-tier services to you in a remote environment. So it even forced us to kind of reevaluate and revamp how we operated uh, at the MEC level. So to kind of talk to us a little bit about the health and safety risks uh, to the frontline crew members and what we have done to mitigate that uh, is our Vice Chairman Dave Zergot. So Dave, you know, a lot of measures were put into place uh, early on, and we've obviously grown those measures as time has gone on. But why don't we talk about some of the things that we've done uh, internally and how we've worked with the company to increase the health and safety of the pilot group? Yeah, thanks, Nick. When the um, pandemic first came about in, in February uh, to the U.S. to March and April, it, become, it became pretty clear to everybody that as we parked airplanes and departures got cut, we weren't going to see a complete shutdown of the airline. So we had to try and focus our efforts on, on making the environment that our pilots come to work in as safe as possible. 
So uh, in collaboration with our um, uh, safety committee, uh, safety committee chairman Vaughn DeHart, um, as well as the company safety side, Todd Tilbury, uh, we've, we did a few things to try and um, uh, make the uh, airport environment as well as the airplane environment as safe as possible. So a couple of things we've done uh, to, to uh, increase the safety was um, we increased the flight deck cleanings. Uh, they used to do them every 15 days, and we were able to work with the company to get those taken down to three days. Well, why couldn't we get it more than three days or less than three days, I should say? Yeah, that's a good question. So the flight decks have to be cleaned by maintenance personnel, and uh, they do the service check and the airworthiness release every three days. So that was what the company felt comfortable in doing uh, to, um, as far as cleaning the uh, flight decks. Then the next step was um, dealing with the wipes that we get from the company to try and uh, wipe down the flight decks. Uh, prior to the COVID environment, the um, company provided us with Sanicom wipes. Uh, um, through some testing, um, it became apparent that the Sanicom wipes were not effective against the COVID-19 uh, virus. So we worked with the company on trying to find a replacement. Uh, and in, um, in conjunction with Delta, we were able to get the Matrix 3 wipes and, and get those sent out to the bases as well as the airplanes to uh, uh, help fight off the virus in the flight deck. Yeah, and there was a, you know, there was a lull between the Sanicoms and the Matrix 3 wipes. And so in the interim, you know, we actually were able to get the FAA to approve Clorox wipes because we weren't able to use, you're not really able to use Clorox wipes in the flight decks because the alcohol content could be corrosive to the kind of metals that are in switches that are inside the flight decks. But as a temporary measure, you know, we were able to use some Clorox wipes uh, in the flight deck until the Matrix 3s got in there. But, you know, um, so th that gives us, a you know, a couple bullet points. But what else, uh, what else did we do for the health and safety or on the health and safety front, Dave? A couple other things. Um, as the FAA came out with their um, uh, safety alerts for operators known as uh, um, SAFOs, uh, we worked with, again, our safety committee and the company to uh, adhere to the SAFOs as much as possible. And the SAFOs really developed, it's a joint effort between the FAA, the association, the CDC. You know, we're just trying to follow general practices. And I think it's important that you know, we give, you know, Vaughn DeHart, who's our central air safety chairman, Brian Cowell, who's our vice chairman, and Todd Tilbury, who's the director of safety operations at Endeavor Air. That team at that level did an excellent job of working to try to get ahead of this because the everyone was behind um, COVID. Uh, so not only did we have to catch up, we had to get ahead. And, you know, the SAFO was kind of that guiding document that we were striving towards um, in, in terms of safety. And, the collaboration between the association and, and the company was was top tier because you know Dave you're on the uh, you're also serve on the fee for departure committee at Alpa National and we did not see that level of collaboration there at other carriers. Yeah, that's correct. Um, when we heard back from fee for departure um, and even some of the mainline carriers told us that uh, the collaboration that we had uh, between um, our safety committee and the company safety department uh, was top notch and, and one of the best in the industry. So that added a lot of, you know, protections from the health and safety front. But, you know, when we when the pandemic first started to hit, you know, we started to take a look at it from a financial uh, impact or potential impact. So, you know, let's uh, let's kind of inform the pilot group on what we did in early March and what we continue to do in terms of the COVID pay protection letters. When the pandemic, again, first started coming out, we started seeing a couple other carriers, um, uh, specifically Spirit, uh, come out with one of the first COVID pay protection letters. And we wanted to mirror that, uh, especially because under the current company's absenteeism policy, um, 
there's there's an incentive for pilots to come to work and and when pilots are sick we don't want want them coming to work so uh so we 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 came together with the covid pay protection letter um th those were temporary letters um and uh and keep getting extended and we currently have it through the end of the October 2021 bid period. And depending on co how COVID goes into next year, uh, we'll determine whether that gets extended further. You know, no, the COVID pay protection letters, uh, they were great because, you know, it obviously secures a mechanism to make sure that you're not financially impacted, but it also takes away that occurrence. And I think that's also really an important port, uh, part of it. Uh, make sure that if you are exhibiting any type of symptoms of COVID or symptoms that are consistent with COVID, please do not hesitate to call out sick. And if you have a pending COVID test, please don't come to work with a pending COVID test. Make sure that you follow the process. Um, there are a lot of resources on the company's website at EndeavorAir.com uh, as far as the COVID, COVID task force, emails, and the process that you know you have to follow. Um, so in terms of, you know, COVID, we have seen, uh, you know, kind of a spike in numbers, but not just here, not just in this industry, you know, obviously nation and, and worldwide. You know, so the association on the pilot assistance front, Dave, has also been doing a lot of things with, you know, crew contacts and contact tracing, because, you know, part of it is let's try to avoid getting COVID. And then if we do get COVID, what is the financial impact to the pilots? But then there's also the communication side. So, um, why don't we talk a little bit about the communication side and what we're doing internally and what our committees are doing to notify the pilots? So um, at the onset of uh, COVID, we had to come up with a contact tracing um, program to communicate um, a positive result uh, to another crew member that another crew member may have flown with or had contact with. Uh, so um, I want to give a, a shout out to uh, Tyler Adams. Uh, who is the uh, chairman of our pilot assistance committee and uh, one of his volunteers, James Lubuzowski. Um, they have done countless uh, uh, crew contacts and contact tracing and how the system currently works is once a pilot or a flight attendant uh, uh, receives a positive test, they notify the company, uh, then the um, uh, COVID pay protection team uh, does some contact tracing on their own and, and sends an email uh, to both Tyler and James, and then they conduct their own contact tracing. Both Tyler and James will reach out to the pilots um, that uh, have been impacted uh, via either a uh, close contact with a flight attendant or a pilot, and then they determine whether that, is, that close contact was enough uh, to uh, justify a quarantine or just a monitor for 14 days. One of the final area in our contracts that we made some temporary changes to that we you know we didn't memorialize in any agreements the you know the company just ran with it but you know things like eliminating the ready reserve longer AVL call out periods positive space to and from work those are some of the things that we implemented to try to limit a pilot's time inside an airport inside an airplane inside a crash pad or a hotel because obviously if we can limit that time um, your exposure risk goes down. And so those were some of the other things that uh, we've done. But I think the, the last thing that is probably important that we talk about before we end this segment of the podcast um, is, you know, will they mandate the vaccine? I know that a lot of uh, pilots have reached out to us and said, you know, I'm, I'm concerned on both sides. You know, I, I do want it, but it is the first round and has it gone through enough testing? And, you know, what is the company going to do? Uh, are they going to mandate the vaccine? So why don't we uh, kind of give up uh, the listeners the most up-to-date information on that? Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple uh, months ago, we brought this issue up with the company uh, at our monthly ops meeting. And at the time, the company uh, said it's just really too early to tell right now. They, they don't know. Um, and uh, as of uh, a couple days ago, um, the FAA just came out with some initial guidance on the v vaccine uh, that there may be a... Um, 
a, a lull in between when you get the vaccine and when you're able to exercise your medical. Uh, they haven't determined anything yet. They just said they're investigating it right now. So until we get some guidance from the FAA, I think the company is not going to uh, make a determination as to whether they're going to make the vaccine mandatory or optional. Yeah, and that's that's very consistent with what Endeavor has been telling us and Delta has been telling us is that they're um, they're just unsure of what their position is going to be at this time. But you know, obviously, as soon as we have any more up to date, relevant information on that, we will we're more than happy to pass it along to you. So let's switch gears now and let's talk about budgeting in 2019 and budgeting in 2020 because that really did present some challenges to us. Um, I'm sure most of the pilots are are unaware, but. In 2019, we actually were significantly over our allotted budget from Alpa National, and we didn't really find out about this until we went down to officer leadership training at Alpa National in November, right before the new leadership team took the reins December 1st. At that point in time, Joseph Genovese sat down uh, with us, who is the VP of Flight Finance at Alpa National, and kind of went over where our MEC was at as far as our our actual expenditures were compared to what we were budgeted for. Um, after the tally was complete, and we did not know that for a few more months because there is a certain amount of lag in the budgetary process at Alpa National, uh, what ended up happening is we were 40% over our allotted budget, which put us into a deficit of about $500,000. So how did this get broken up? Well, about $200,000 uh, was just kind of the deficit that we started the year with moving into 2020. 297000 was... Um, placed on our books in terms of a loan through what is called the OCF. That's the Operational Contingency Fund at Alpa National. It is designed to help MECs, um, you know, kind of weather some, some storms. And there's really two paths that you can go down with the OCF. You can go down grants or loans. Ours was uh, categorized as a loan, and the loan was 0%, which was nice, but it did mean that any type of overages uh, or savings or surpluses that we could generate would immediately be swept away to be able to pay back that loan. So we weren't really aware of this challenge as we took the reins, but once we figured out uh, that it existed, we definitely knew we had to address it because we wanted to get on that, you know, the positive side of the balance sheet there. So that kind of gives you a little bit of an overview of where we were at. Um, but Jade, why don't you uh, talk a little bit about uh, how this happened or why this happened? And then most importantly, what things have we changed to rectify that, that issue? Well, thanks, Nick. Um, you know, there's there's a lot that goes into how does someone get over budget, and there was things that we were kicking off the progression for all campaigns, one of them, and the progression for all campaign. The spool up on that can account for about a third of that total cost and overages from that. But utilizing some of that is what the contingency fund and why it was put in place and why they were looking at that and gave us that zero percent loan, but. That wasn't the only portion of it. And I kind of want to, you know, interject here too. We talked a, a, a quite a bit with Alpa National about the progression for all campaign and the OCF usage, um, and we really felt that that needed to be a grant and not a loan. And and the reason that it was ended up being categorized as a loan is they said it was what we expect to happen is that the MEC comes to us, the leadership team comes to us in advance of needing this money. 
you know, you don't wave the white flag after you're in trouble. You you come to them with a business plan and you say, this is what uh, we need. And typically it's going to be used for committees like P2P, SPSC, negotiations. This is what we need. This is how much flight pay loss we need. This is what uh, the hotels and the per diem are going to cost. And you really kind of have a, a, a defined plan as far as how much this is going to to take and then that plan gets approved and once it gets approved that's how you get the money granted to you which then wouldn't cost us anything and fortunately we didn't follow that process which is why we were slapped with a loan yeah you're correct nick and you know we found that out after the fact while we were in uh alpa national there talking with mr genovese about the process and why and as we were digging through the process that came more and more prevalent about what was going on Besides being the overages for the Progression for All campaign, we were also spooling up the P2P volunteers, but there was several different ways we could have spooled up the P2P volunteers instead of big events, which was taken and cost significant amount of money. We could have used alternatives like we are using today, um, training online or bringing in a train the trainer who then trains his own committee, which we are using today. There's different ways you can spool up a campaign that wasn't being utilized that are significantly for cost savings purposes that should have been utilized. And going back and diving into some of these overages that were accounted for um, was huge. And not only that, there was some things on the books that we went back into and we were looking at it. We went in and there was just significant uh, charges um, working with Dave. Zergot and looking at just simple things. There's a bunch of uh, Alpa gets charged for every email address that we have on the books. And we went back and we had to clean out a bunch of email address. So, I mean, it was just little things over and over again on a process. And when we went in, we took a deep dive into the process to look at, okay, why did this happen? And how can we keep it from not happening again? And doing this process again, it took several months to actually create that process. And then, you know, ALPA has these processes set in place that you have to adhere to so you don't get in the situation we are in. Not only that, if you adhere to the policies and procedures that they do have in place that are in our manuals, not only that, if you're transparent with your MEC and transparent with the books, so you can create oversight so it's not one person or one team. We've done that. We've created a, not only a yearly budget, but we've created a monthly budget with all of our committees. I've been working with Mr. Zergot monthly. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll interject there. You guys have done a great job because I think, Dave, you sat down with the committees and Jade, you sat down with the committee chairs and you said, you know, what what is your budgetary ask, right? What is your budgetary ask? And the way that you guys developed that is, you know, the the chair would come in and say, well, I just, I had this much money last year. I want this much more this year. And we said, no, no, that's not how you do projections. How you do projections is you actually take a look at how many flight pay loss days do I need? How many members do I have on my committee? What is my hotel cost for those days? What are my per diem costs per those days? And then I want to know what you want to have. And then I'm going to tell you what you can have because we have to break it down between wants and needs. And so why don't you guys talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I can even talk about just the basis. I mean, we talked to committees that didn't even know what their budgets were and, and didn't even know what it was. And, you know, I kind of gave Dave what the average cost of a day was 
per hotel, food, everything. And I said, okay, Dave, what do we really need? And I'll, I'll turn it over to Dave and, and, you know, kind of worked with him on the process on going to each committee. So what we did uh, when we took office December 1st was um, to, like uh, Jade say uh, said, take a deep dive into um, what the budget was and what our budget was going to be for 2020 and um, and reached out to the committees that do the most amount of spending. But that's just because they do the most amount of work as well. So one thing we um, what we decided to do right when we took office was have conference calls with the committee chairs to talk about what their budget was in 2019 and, and where they went over and what their budget was going to be in 2020 and what we had to offer them and what kind of training they thought that they were going to need. And then also, uh, as we rolled into 2020, um, we wanted to make sure the committees understood that we were going to that they were going to have to remain within their budget. But if something came up, that we would be able to reallocate some resources so that they could do what they needed to do. Um, and so what we do is uh, every month, Alpa National sends us our budget from uh, the previous month, and then Jade will put it into a spreadsheet format, and I'll produce it to the committee chairs uh, so that they understood where they sat on the budget. Uh, whether they had a surplus or, or a deficit. Uh, and if they had a deficit, we would talk about what steps would be taken to uh, change that deficit to a surplus. So doing it on a month to month process has been very, very beneficial. Not only that, it, what it's done is it's also allowed the committee chairs to track their own budget and, and understand because we readjust their budget based on their deficit, right? So going month to month, if you're over one month, well, that takes away your next month. But we haven't reduced any of the pilot services doing this. Well, what we did is we actually allowed each chair to understand what their true cost is of doing business. And that was the big thing is a lot of them didn't even understand what the cost of doing business was. And I think just being transparent with each chair and saying, hey, this is what our cost is, has really helped. But not only that, we had the COVID environment, right? And with this COVID environment, what has helped us save money this year is a lot of our training has been canceled. So we had a lot of pilots and we had budgeted, especially safety side, for a lot of pilots leaving and having to retrain those safety side committees to replace those services. As our income has come down, our burn rate has also come down. That is true. So our burn rate did not happen like we expected to this year. So we had a huge savings, not only on our safety side, because we didn't have to reach retrain as many people that we expected to leave because we didn't have as many people leave with everything shut down with COVID and all the other trainings that were shut down. We national wasn't doing them. So that really did help us on the savings and we've recovered significantly. Now what COVID did also expose is we were able to really utilize some of the work from home environment um, with Sea Tower shutting down and Alpa shutting down. We were kind of forced to develop a work from home environment. Well, yes, we wanted to ensure that no committee or no services were cut to any of the pilots. We wanted to make sure what was needed. So some of these, when again, when you're on Alpa Dime, you get your per diem just like you would as a pilot. But now when you're working for home, again, you're losing some of that. So I don't have to pay for any of the hotels or food, so that saves money. So we've had a huge significant savings with the COVID environment. And as um, I don't know if anybody knows, but we've, we've actually 
paid back our loan and we are significantly out of our debt and we're projecting to have a significant surplus by the end of this year. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that, that is the best case scenario that we could hope for. Uh, you know, as I said, we started the year with the $200,000 deficit. So when January 1st rolled around and we took a look at our accounting, we were already $200,000 in arrears and we were able to erase that fairly quickly. Um, and then we had the $297,000 loan that we had to start, uh, you know, making some payments on. And we were able to get $257,000 of that loan paid off. The other $40,000 was granted to us by Alpa National in no small part as kind of a recognition to the job that the MEC and the leadership and you know all the reps were doing and really all the committee chairs and volunteers were doing as far as fiscal responsibility was concerned. I mean, the reason that we are in the position that we are today with no debt is because, as Jade, you said, everybody was very sensitive about wanting to not pilots to not lose services, but they also couldn't take the kind of flight pay loss that they had experienced in the past. And so they had to continue to produce that top tier product with minimal flight pay loss compared to 2019. And so that really put the onus on the volunteers. And so I want to just say thank you to every single MEC committee chair, volunteer, representative out there. We know that 2020 has been challenging on so many fronts and the budget was one of them that may not have been as visible as COVID, but you know, certainly did exist. Um, and Jade, as you said, I'm we're happy to report. We don't even know what the year end numbers are going to look like till probably February or March of, of 2021. But it looks like we are going to have the largest surplus in our MEC's history, which is great because then that gives us a war chest and we can be able to use that to um, our strategic advantage, your strategic advantage. Um, and we are also going to look at ways to return that money to the pilots. Once we get past this COVID environment, we've got some ideas that we'll talk about in the communication section coming up next. But um, Jade, I'd like to thank you for giving the pilots some insight as to the budgetary process and kind of the strength of our, our books at this point. Yeah, and I want to thank all the committees and all uh, everybody who's put in the work, uh, Dave, Nick, uh, every one of our chairs, every one of our volunteers. It hasn't been easy. Some of these conversations that we had and still have, they're not fun conversations. No one likes to hear, hey, man, I'm sorry, I can't do everything that you really want to, but what do we need? And that's that's the conversation that it all came down to. What is what do we need? What do the pilots need? What's the absolute needs? And I think that's the most important thing through this environment. We need to make sure, what do we need? We need to make sure that we're providing the needs and services to all of our pilots. And I think we've done a great job. And thank you to all of our volunteers for doing so. You know, and as we're, um, as we're handing out thanks, I think it's also really important to thank Dave and to thank Jade, simply because they have been doing um, an officer position, which is usually afforded about a week of leave per month. And in, in the past, we've seen, you know, more to significantly more time than that. They've been doing all of the jobs that are required and the responsibilities that are required on what, about two to three days of flight pay loss per month um, in about 2020. It has been, it's been minimal. And it's been one of the large reasons why we've been able to, you know, right size this budget is because we've been able to find different areas to, you know, cut. So Jade and Dave, thank you so much for, you know, for that service and that sacrifice to the pilots. I know everybody really appreciates it. So something else as a pilot group that you probably have noticed is that we have enhanced our communication structure with the pilot group. And really the first uh, area that you probably noticed was we've been having regular and consistent all-pilot conference calls. 
I think in the previous three years, um, Dave, we probably did about two. I think there was one during 91. Um, there was one during, there was a career progression all pilot conference call, but that those were really the only two that we had done in about a three year time frame. And so we did four last year because we wanted to make sure that we gave, you know, you the platform to voice your direction to the MEC and to its officers. And with COVID, there was a lot of things going on that we needed to be able to present to, to large groups. I'm happy to report that you will not experience anything less next year. We are still planning on doing four all-pilot conference calls. We are going to be looking to change the format a little bit. We are looking to bring it live um, streaming on the web. And what you may not be aware of is the, the last all-pilot conference call of 2020, we actually were doing this behind the scenes. And the product that the communications committee produced uh, was top notch. I'm really excited about the new format uh, as we look into doing our first one in 2021. I think, Dave, we talked about maybe a January, February timeframe. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the one of the challenges, you know, we had you know, going through the COVID environment was one of the ways we communicated with the pilots significantly was through the RGS uh, lunches. Uh, and when the company took those um, virtual, uh, we lost that ability. So we determined that we needed to have, we need, still needed to get the communications out to the pilots as much as possible. So the all pilot conference calls were a way to do that and to kind of bring it up into the 21st century via a, a live video feed uh, was the right way to go with it. So again, while we're trying to maintain budget, we are investing in, in other areas like the podcast that we're doing right now, uh, as well as the all pilot conference call going, um, going live. Yep. And again, you hit the nail on the head, the uh, On Air with the Chair podcast. This is another, you know, medium that we've invested in to try to bring you guys information. And, you know, with some of this war chest that, you know, we've built up through our, our budgetary surplus, again, we want to return that to the pilots. We said that kind of in the in the last segment of the podcast. And But how are we going to do that? And, you know, what is our communication goals for 2021 and how do those things merge into each other? Well, once we get past some of these COVID restrictions, and COVID really has put in a damper on this, um, we do want to get back into the airports on a very, very consistent basis. And by we, I'm not just talking about the officers and the reps. I'm talking about P2P. And what we'd like to see is we'd like to see an event being uh, hosted in a base each month. Um, maybe not 12 events in Detroit. That's not what I'm talking about. But let's go to Minneapolis in January. Well, maybe that would be a very bad idea. Maybe we should we should go south in January. Let's go to Atlanta in January. And then maybe in February, we come up to Cincinnati and in March and we go to go over to New York. Um, we want to look to do some pilot unity building events, pub events. That's another way that we're going to be able to hopefully return some of your, your dues dollars to you. So we are looking at those things. COVID is really going to be the determining factor, um, and we'll see you know when in 2021 that we'll be able to get there. Um, hopefully, you guys have also enjoyed the regular chairman's updates. I know the officers um, all have a hand in the chairman's updates that go out, so that's not just me putting them out. And it was really important to us that we made sure that you were hearing consistently from you know from myself, from Dave, from Jade, from the officers. And so, hopefully, you guys have enjoyed those. Um, I guess maybe the last one that we should talk about is the survey that is now open. We haven't done a survey since 2016, so I know we were a little bit long in the tooth on there. Um, but we are going to get this survey out to you now. Hopefully we get some really, really good participation numbers. Um, we're looking to get those results in time for the January MEC meeting so that the MEC can take a look at them and that will help guide their strategic decisions. And then after that, 
we're going to try to put out some different survey questions, maybe in the hotlines or the fast reads or, you know, some other communication medium like that to kind of stay a little bit more consistent with um, allowing you a mechanism to provide us your feedback. So hopefully you'll take a part of that survey. It's really important to us. So if you have any if you have any issues or problems with the survey, please reach out to the officers and we'll we'll get those rectified uh, for you very, very quickly. Um, the last really section that we're going to go through, and you know we've said it before on several podcasts, but it's probably the most important one uh, for the pilots. And so we always want to emphasize this is, you know, the job security and the JCBA. And so Dave and Jade, you know, why don't you tell uh, the pilots about our job security and about our contract? At the onset of COVID, you know, it became increasingly clear that uh, the company was going to be asking for some relief, uh, either through concessions uh, or, you know, job cuts. So they approached us about um, some concessions, but at the same time, there was um, work being done on Capitol Hill to give the airlines um, some monetary relief. Yeah, and it wasn't just some concessions. It was 27% cuts from Min Guarantee on top of the organic cut that we'd already taken because prior to the COVID pandemic, pilots were averaging about 88 to 90 hours of credit per month. And once COVID hit, everyone's down at Min Guarantee. So it was it was actually a, an offer that was greater than that was than what was asked of us during the bankruptcy. Yeah, and that's correct. And some airlines uh, decided to uh, give their cuts right away, even while the work was being done on Capitol Hill. Uh, the MEC uh, at Endeavor decided, let's take a break, let's see what's gonna happen on Capitol Hill and what kind of protections are gonna be in the bill uh, in, regards to, uh, in regards to that. So it was a really good strategic decision by the MEC to wait and see what was going to happen on Capitol Hill uh, before we made any decisions here. Well, and plus they wouldn't, they they couldn't engage with us on career progression is what they said. They said that uh, it wasn't the right time. And what you know, what our pitch was is, look, you know, we we want to be team players here, and if you need some, you know, monetary relief. You know, that's fine. We can go through some short-term pain, but we want to guarantee that we're going to have long-term recovery. And career progression allows us that guarantee. And so that that's where, you know, it kind of broke down for both sides. They didn't have it to offer. And without a long-term guarantee of recovery, there wasn't really the incentive to take concessions that were that exceeded bankruptcy of 2013. We've been fortunate that we've been able to navigate this pandemic without having to take involuntary contractual concessions. Obviously, the you know, pilots W-2s are going to be affected because we've seen a reduction in block hours and a reduction of flying available. That is somewhat unavoidable. You know, when you have an 88 to 90 hour credit window on average for pilots and they're down to 75, they've certainly been impacted to the levels of 16 to 17%. But outside of that, we've been able to get through this thus far with no involuntary contractual concessions, which is great. We've also been able to um, avoid the war notices and the furloughs. And Dave, why don't we talk a little bit about um, how we've been able to do that. Yeah, a couple of the ways we've been able to do that is through, like Nick just said, uh, avoiding involuntary cuts through voluntary programs. And we've done things, uh, you know, in the contract, we had our tow-op language, but that was for uh, full months. We ended up uh, started doing halftime tow-ops uh, and also the TVLOA program, which has also been extended uh, through the end of the October bid period and for larger chunks of time. Uh, the only issue with that LOA was that the company um, was exposed uh, when they did theirs with the flight attendants and they didn't have enough flight attendants to cover their August flying. So when we um, renewed the TVLOA, LOA, um, the company wanted a recall option to bring pilots back to work if they saw a, a significant spike in their flying, which does happen because 
we are getting our uh, flying from Delta on basically a month-to-month basis. In the past, in a pre-COVID environment, the company would usually get a forward-looking schedule about six months. Uh, and there would be some minor tweaks uh, in the month-to-month, but nothing major. And sometimes it's week-to-week, right? Correct, now. yeah. I mean, we're getting cancellations the month of. Uh, but right now, we're only getting our schedule month-to-month. So the company was very hesitant on, on letting pilots have TVLOAs for a long period of time. So they wanted the recall option in there. Uh, the other uh, option that the company had to to help get some pilots off the, co- off the books uh, was the uh, long-term leave of absence program that's in our JCBA that kind of is in, it replaces the voluntary furlough program. Uh, and uh, and so they've offered that. Uh, they offered it in, in conjunction with a couple realignment notices that we had. Uh, and on average, we have about eight pilots or so that take it uh, each time it's, it's put out. Uh, there is there is no recall option in that program. So if you go out, uh, it's a minimum of one year, maximum of five. You can come back whenever you want between those times or if the company is hiring uh, prior to one year. Um, so, uh, and like I said, we've had a few pilots take that cause that's what's best for that, them or their family right now. So, yeah. And looking out into 2021, you know, during our discussions with, you know, Russie Lander and Joe Miller, there does not seem to be any appetite to do furloughs. They are wanting to avoid that, you know, at all costs. Joe Miller has been pretty clear that, you know, if we're going to furlough, we really need the pilot to be gone for a year, which means they need to see that we're not going to be recovering for 12 months or more. Otherwise, trying to get everybody back into the training pipeline and incurring those costs, uh, furlough almost becomes prohibitive at this point. And with the vaccine now being produced, it doesn't seem very likely that we're going to experience any furloughs at Endeavor. I think we're learning right now from the Delta environment on on the training struggles, right? And so Endeavor's kind of looking at if they do go down some of those roads and, and we have a bunch of training events that get created, it can really tie your hands. And so they're they're taking a snapshot on on some of the struggles that Delta just saw in, in training events and seeing that why would we put someone in a furlough pipeline when it, it does kind of handcuff you? if you need them in a quick, quick environment. Yeah, with, uh, what, 2,000 pilots on UNA status or somewhere in the neighborhood uh, at Delta there, they ended up suffering, what, 800 or 850 cancels over the Thanksgiving weekend. Um, You know, not necessarily great news for the overall operation, kind of good news for us because we do have the pilots trained in in the right positions. And as long as we can operate those aircraft, you know, we're going to pick up those departures and those block hours. Um, But yeah, that is, you know, from a staffing standpoint, that is something that they have to take a look at because we don't have the ability to just draw down and then turn the light switch right back on when we want. It does take a significant amount of spool up time, resources and money. And those opportunities, um, you know, in terms of market share, if your competitors uh, don't spool down equitably to you, you very well could give up market share to, you know, your competitors. So you got you get always have to be wary of that. Um, so yeah, right now going into 2021, it, there aren't any talks of concessions. There aren't any talks of furloughs or war notices going out at Endeavor. So I think we're going to have a pretty stable and secure outlook, especially like I said, as the COVID vaccine. Uh, ramps up and the distribution gets out there, I think we're just going to be stronger as we move through 2021. And I'll just add that um, in not just in the fee-for-departure world, but also the legacy major world, we are one of the few airlines that hasn't, uh, as Nick said, taken an involuntary um, cut uh, or a furlough. Most carriers have either 
um, cut their pay to our, or their guarantee to um, to let their furloughs stay on. Um, and, and we've been able to navigate through that without having to take any concessions or furloughs or even warn notices. The company never sent any warn notices out uh, at our airline either. Uh, so when it comes to the, uh, those things, we've been very fortunate. We've been able to navigate through that uh, you know, collaboratively between the association uh, and the company and with the good relationship that we have with them. So as always in every episode, we like to answer a question from you, the frontline pilot. And fortunately this month, we actually received several questions. So I really do appreciate the participation. Remember, if you have a question or even a topic for us to address on the podcast, please email edvonair at alpa.org. That's edvonair at alpa.org. So let's take a question now from First Officer Katie Shaw, who is based in New York City. So Katie had a question about one of our recent Friday hotlines in which we communicated to the pilot group about the online jump seat reservation system that we were trying to procure for the pilots. This is something that we have talked to the company about I mean, gosh, about, you know, for two or three years now. So this isn't uh, this isn't a new topic. But if you're unfamiliar, Delta pilots have the ability to reserve the jump seat online. And we were trying to piggyback on that system to give us a better opportunity to be able to get to and from work. So we understand the challenges that are out there for the commuting population. And some of the challenges are things like flight frequencies. Flight frequencies have been significantly reduced in the COVID environment. Seat caps. You know, we're not even uh, filling every seat on an airplane for very good reasons, but that does hamper commutability. S3A travel, that's also going to have an impact for the retirees as they are now going to be able to go ahead of us on, you know, several, um, several times a year. I think they're afforded six passes per year, and that's not just for the retirees themselves, but it's for all of their pass riders. They each get six per year, and they're good for a, a flight day or a destination, and so that kind of liberal application of that means that it's it's going to have an impact. So we wanted to try to find something to help the commuting population. We thought, let's, let's raise this topic again. And unfortunately, uh, the company's answer was, you know what, uh, we want to do that too, but now is not the right time due to cost and the COVID environment. And that's really what Katie's concern was, was, you know, that's not a real good response. I mean, now is the time where we need this type of benefit. Uh, and it would be really, really helpful to have that option. And, and Katie, we completely agree. And so if you're asking, you know, what it is that we're going to do, you know, we're obviously going to continue to advocate for it just as we have done in the past, because we do think it would be a good system. We do think it is a system that should be, you know, minimally intrusive uh, in terms of cost and, and labor. And it would, it would significantly, I think, help our pilots understand or know or secure their ability to get to and from work. So we are going to continue to advocate for that. Um, outside of very strong advocacy, the only other way to ensure that we secure it is through bargaining. And then it come, becomes a question of where does this fit inside of all of your other strategic priorities? And when do you have the right opportunity on the company's side uh, to be able to secure such a benefit? So those are the two things that we, you know, we kind of tend to look at when we think about migration uh, of a topic like this from advocacy into actual negotiations. Um, but rest assured, Katie, and for all the pilots out there, we will absolutely continue to 
try to press on all the levers that we have at the MEC level to try to get uh, a better outcome in regards to this and, and a myriad of other topics. So I'd like to uh, thank Katie for the question. We will be sending you a gift from the MEC. Um, as always, everybody out there, please fly safe and be safe. I appreciate you taking your time to listen to the podcast. Uh, thank you, and we'll see you out on the line. 31, runway 28, quit the land.